merry meeting, blessed be. Welcome one and all to the Spiral Dance.
Mary Mead, and welcome to this week's edition of the Spiral Dance. I'm Hawthorne, and I'm very happy you could join me. We're just listening to REM doing shiny, happy people. Well, I hope that you are among the shiny, happy people. Or does the thought make you fear that maybe you could be labeled a fuzzy bunny wiccan? Oh, no. And perhaps, well, you are genuinely happy with your dark magics. That happens, too. Happiness is amorphous. It's hard to define, and sometimes it's hard to know if we really have it. But when we do have happiness in our lives, it truly is a shiny thing. So this week we're going to look at just what is meant by happiness, and we're going to look at it from different perspectives. Religious, spiritual, philosophical, and economic or political, because you have to get into that realm too. Plus, I want to share some famous quotes on that subject. I'm going to have the Spiral Dance Spell of the Week towards the end of the show. That is all coming up for you. Right now, here's the Turtles with Happy Together here on the Spiral Dance with Hawthorne. Imagine me and you, I do I think about you day and night It's only right to think about the girl you love And hold her tight, so happy together If I should call you up, invest a dime And you say you belong to me By the way, in 
2012, the United Nations declared March 20th to be observed as the International Day of Happiness. Just giving you a heads up, plenty of time to plan ahead. Now here's a poem called Promise Yourself. Promise yourself to be so strong that nothing can disturb your peace of mind to talk health, happiness, and prosperity to every person you meet. To make all your friends feel that there is something in them. To look at the sunny side of everything and make your optimism come true. To think only the best, to work only for the best, and to expect only the best. To be just as enthusiastic about the success of others as you are about your own. To forget the mistakes of the past and press on to the greater achievements of the future. To wear a cheerful countenance at all times and give every living creature that you meet a smile. To give so much time to the improvement of yourself that you have no time to criticize others. To be too large for worry, too noble for anger, too strong for fear, and too happy to permit the presence of trouble. To think well of yourself and to proclaim this fact to the world not in loud words, but in great deeds, to live in faith that the whole world is on your side so long as you are true to the best that is in you. Happiness is a mental or emotional state of well-being defined by positive or pleasant emotions ranging from contentment to intense joy. Happiness can mean many things to many different people. Part of the challenge of a science of happiness is to identify different concepts of happiness and where applicable, put them into their components. Related concepts are well-being, quality of life, and flourishing. At least one author defines happiness as contentment. Some commentators focus on the difference between the hedonistic tradition of seeking pleasant experiences and avoiding the unpleasant ones, and the eudaimonic tradition of living life in a full and deeply satisfying way. Since the 1960s, happiness research has been conducted in a wide variety of scientific disciplines, including gerontology, social psychology, clinical and medical research, and happiness economics. During the past two decades, however, the field of happiness studies has expanded drastically. However, in the 1930s, an American professor of psychology, Abraham Maslow, founded humanistic psychology. His theory, which he called the hierarchy of needs, is represented as a pyramid depicting the levels of human needs, both psychological and physical. When a, a human being transcends the steps of the pyramid, he reaches what Maslow called self-actualization. Beyond the routine of needs fulfillment, Maslow envisioned moments of extraordinary experience and yet still a part of the world. Psychologist Martin Seligman asserts that happiness is not solely derived from external momentary pleasures and he claims that humans seem happiest when they have the following five things number one pleasure like tasty food warm baths that sort of thing number two engagement or flow the absorption of an enjoyed yet challenging activity relationships social ties have turned out to be extremely reliable indicators of happiness meaning a perceived quest or belonging to something bigger, and then number five is accomplishments, having realized tangible goals. 
Sonja Luborninsky concludes in her book, The How of Happiness, that 50% of a given human's happiness level is genetically determined, 10% is affected by life circumstances and situation, and then the remaining 40% of happiness is subject to self-control. The results of the 75-year grant study of Harvard undergraduates show a high correlation of loving relationships, especially with parents, with later life well-being. In the second edition of the Handbook of Emotions from the year 2000, evolutionary psychologists Leda Cosmides and John Tooby say that happiness comes from encountering unexpected positive events. In the third edition of the Handbook of Emotions in 2008, Michael Lewis says happiness can be elicited by seeing a significant other. According to Mark Leary, as reported in November 1995 issue of Psychology Today, we are happiest when basking in the acceptance and praise of others. It's been argued that money cannot effectively buy much happiness unless it is used in certain ways. Beyond the point at which people have enough to comfortably feed, clothe, and house themselves, having more money, even a lot more money, makes them only a little bit happier, if at all. A Harvard Business School study found that spending money on others actually makes us happier than spending it on ourselves. Research has produced many different views on causes of happiness and on factors that correlate with happiness, but no validated method has been found to substantially improve long-term happiness in a meaningful way for most people. In 350 BCE, Aristotle wrote a piece called Nicomachean Ethics, where he explains that happiness, also being well and doing well, is the only thing that humans desire for its own sake, unlike riches, honor, health, or friendship. He observed that men sought riches or honor or health not only for their own sake, but also in order to be happy. Now, the Greek word eudaimonia which we translate as happiness, was for Aristotle an activity rather than an emotion or a state. So the happy life is the good life, that is, a life in which a person fulfills human nature in an excellent way. Specifically, Aristotle argued that the good life is the life of excellent rational activity. He arrived at this claim with the function argument. Basically, if it's right, every living thing has a function that which it uniquely does. For humans, our function is to reason, since it is that alone that we uniquely do. And performing your function well or excellently is your good. Thus, the life of excellent rational activity is the happy life. Aristotle did not leave it at that, however. He, for he argued that there is a second best life for those in incapable of excellent rational activity. And the second best life is a life of moral virtue. Happiness forms a central theme in Buddhist teachings. For ultimate freedom from suffering, the Noble Eightfold Path leads, to, leads its practitioner to nirvana, a state of everlasting peace. For the Buddhist, ultimate happiness is only achieved by overcoming craving in all forms. However, more mundane forms of happiness, like acquiring wealth and maintaining good friendships, is also recognized as worthy goals for lay people. Buddhism also encourages the generation of loving kindness and compassion, as well as the desire for the happiness and welfare of all beings.
you had a day where nobody would recognize you? I don't think I'd be that different, honestly. I dropped the whole trying to be something for somebody a long time ago, so I pretty much walk through the world except when I want to be funny or I want to do something outrageous. I don't have any trouble being myself and I don't have any trouble saying no when I mean no. When, uh, I don't feel there is a you know, pressing uh, responsibility to please everyone. I'm not unkind to people. No. I love people. I would much prefer saying hello and who are you and what are you doing today than uh, giving a selfie yeah. because selfies stop the world. You know, they stop life. You then go like yeah, that, huh. and it's going on Instagram uh, to give people a false sense of relevance. People talk about depression all the time. The difference between depression and sadness is sadness is just, you know, from happenstance. Whatever happened or didn't happen for you, or, you know, grief or whatever it is. And depression is your body saying, you, I don't want to be this character anymore. I don't want to hold up this this avatar that you've created in the world. It's too much for me. Deep rest. Your body needs to be depressed. It needs deep rest from the character that you've been trying to play. I act because I'm broken mm. uh, in a lot of pieces. Mm. And uh, acting gives me a chance to reconfigure those pieces into a thousand different things uh, that are positive for people to watch. Was there ever a moment where you first sort of realized, like, I want to be a performer. This is the thing that I want to do with my life. Uh, there was never any other choice. From the time I, that there was consciousness in the body, I was, uh, I was looking at a man named Percy, my dad, who was the most incredible character that you'd ever meet. If, if you met him for five minutes, you thought you knew him for 50 years. And he wrapped everyone that came into our house in stories and jokes and uh, I became his calling at a certain point and he was always super behind me but from the first time I can remember him just lighting up the room you know and him just like wrapping everybody in a story or whatever and and uh, going oh that's that's the thing I want to do you know that's that's what I want to be my father could have been a great comedian but he didn't believe that that was possible for him and so he made a conservative choice. Instead, he got a safe job as an accountant. And when I was 12 years old, he was let go from that safe job. And our family had to do whatever we could to survive. I learned many great lessons from my father, not the least of which was that you can fail at what you don't want. So you might as well take a chance on doing what you love. You know, I watched the effect of my father's love and humor and how it altered the world around me. And I thought, that's something to do. That's something worth my time. It wasn't long before I started acting up. You know, people would come over to the house and they'd be greeted by a seven-year-old throwing himself down a large flight of stairs. <laughs> they would say, what happened? And I would say, I don't know. Let's check the replay. <laughs> I'd go back to the top of the stairs and come back down in slow motion. Now fear is going to be a player in your life. But you get to decide how much. You can spend your whole life imagining ghosts, worrying about the pathway to the future, but all there will ever be is what's happening here. And the decisions we make in this moment, which are based in either love or fear. So many of us choose our path out of fear disguised as practicality. 
What we really want seems impossibly out of reach and ridiculous to expect, so we never dare to ask the universe for it. When I was about 28, after a decade as a professional comedian, I realized one night in LA that the purpose of my life had always been to free people from concern, just like my dad. The only one I hadn't freed was myself, and that's when my search for identity deepened. I wondered who I'd be without my fame. Who would I be if I said things that people didn't want to hear? Or if I defied their expectations of me? And that piece that we're after lies somewhere beyond personality, beyond the perception of others, beyond invention and disguise, even beyond effort itself. You can join the game, fight the wars, play with form all you want, but to find real peace, you have to let the armor go. Your need for acceptance can make you invisible in this world. Don't let anything stand in the way of the light that shines through this form. Risk being seen in all of your glory. Your job is not to figure out how it's going to happen for you, but to open the door in your head. And when the door opens in real life, just walk through it. And don't worry if you miss your cue, because there's always doors opening. They keep opening. And when I say life doesn't happen to you, it happens for you, I really don't know if that's true. <laughs> I'm just making a conscious choice to perceive challenges as something beneficial so that I can deal with them in the most productive way. You'll come up with your own style. That's part of the fun. You are ready and able to do beautiful things in this world. And after you walk through those doors today, you will only ever have two choices, love or fear. Choose love and don't ever let fear turn you against your playful heart. What's happening right now inside everybody is they're going, who am I? And they're depressed. People go like, oh, Jim's been depressed and stuff. Well, yeah, I was depressed when I was trying to be the Wizard of Oz. But now I know that Oz is a character. You know, I think that everybody deals with that. Everybody walks around and they go like, why am I depressed? Well, it's because you're trying to be something for the world. You know, and as soon as you, you know, let that go, better things happen because they're just happening. It's not, uh, you know, now it's just sadness. You know, sadness comes, happiness comes. It's the weather that flies by in the sky. It doesn't sit on you long enough to drown you. A few months ago, I woke up and I suddenly got it. I understood suddenly how thought was just an illusory thing and how thought is responsible for, if not all, most of the suffering we experience. And then I suddenly felt like I was looking at these thoughts from another perspective. And I wondered, who is it that's aware that I'm thinking? And suddenly I was thrown into this expansive, amazing feeling of freedom from myself, from my problems. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. Because then I would be enough.
it would finally be true. And I could stop this, this terrible search. For what I know ultimately won't fulfill me.
Chinese Confucian thinker Mencius wrote that he was convinced that the mind played a mediating role between the lesser self, the psychological self, and the greater self, the moral self, and that getting the priorities right between these two would lead to sagehood. He argued that if we did not feel satisfaction or pleasure in nourishing your our vital force with righteous deeds, that force would shrivel up. More specifically, he mentions the experience of intoxicating joy if one celebrates the practice of the great virtues, especially through music. In the 10th century, the Muslim Sufi thinker Al-Ghazali wrote in The Alchemist of Happiness. This was a manual of spiritual instruction throughout the Muslim world, and it's widely practiced today. And in his chapter 5, entitled Concerning Music and Dancing as Aids to the Religious Life, Al-Ghazali wrote, The heart of man has been so constituted by the Almighty that, like a flint, it contains a hidden fire which is evoked by music and harmony and renders man beside himself with ecstasy. These harmonies are echoes of that higher world of being which we call the world of spirits. They remind man of his relationship to that world and produce in him an emotion so deep and strange that he himself is powerless to explain it. The effect of music and dancing is deeper in proportion as the natures on which they act are simple and prone to motion. They fan into a flame. Whatever love is already dormant in the heart, whether it be earthly and sensual or divine and spiritual." Unquote. Many ethicists make arguments for how humans should behave either individually or collectively based on the resulting happiness of their behavior. Utilitarians like John Stuart Mill and Jeremy Bentham advocated the greatest happiness principle as a guide for ethical behavior. The greatest happiness principle suggests doing things that will result in the greatest happiness for the greatest amount of people. According to utilitarianism, utility is the only intrinsic good. Actions and precedents are judged right or wrong in proportion to their propensity to produce the most happiness or pleasure for the greatest number of people. Bentham and Mill believed in a qualitative approach which essentially invoked checking your perceived judgments with others for a second opinion, so to speak. Later utilitarians like Rashdall and Sedgwick devised alternative ways of measuring utility. Each person is their own judge when it comes to happiness, but when it comes to the greatest happiness, a person could really be only so happy so long as others around them are happy too. The greatest happiness depended upon the circumstances, upon the community in which you find yourself, and upon how they sought to maximize harmony, comfort, and happiness with closest friends and neighbors. Nietzsche savagely critiqued the utilitarians' focus on attaining the greatest happiness, stating, quote, man does not strive for happiness, only the Englishman does, unquote. Nietzsche said that making happiness one's ultimate goal, the aim of one's existence, makes one contemptible. Nietzsche instead yearned for a culture that would set higher, more difficult goals than mere happiness. Thus, in his writings, Nietzsche introduced the quasi-dystopic figure of the last man as a kind of thought experiment against the utilitarians and happiness seekers. These small last men who seek only after their own pleasure and health avoided all danger, exertion, difficulty, challenge, struggle. They are meant to seem contemptible to Nietzsche's reader. 
Nietzsche instead wants us to consider the value of what is difficult, what can only be earned through struggle, difficulty, pain, and thus to come to see the affirmative value suffering and unhappiness truly pay in creating everything of great worth in life, including all of the highest achievements of human culture, not least of all philosophy. According to St. Augustine and Thomas Aquinas, man's last end is happiness, quoting, all men agree in desiring the last end, which is happiness, unquote. However, where utilitarians focused on reasoning about consequences as the primary tool for reaching happiness, Aquinas agreed with Aristotle that happiness cannot be reached solely through reasoning about consequences of acts, but also requires a pursuit of good causes for acts, like habits according to virtue. In turn, which habits and acts that normally lead to happiness is according to Aquinas caused by laws, natural law and divine law. These laws in turn were according to Aquinas caused by a first cause or God. According to Aquinas, happiness consists in an operation of the speculative intellect. Consequently, happiness consists principally in such an operation vis-a-vis -vis in the contemplation of divine things. And the last end cannot consist in the active life which pertains to the practical intellect. So, therefore, the last and perfect happiness which we await in life to come consists entirely in contemplation. But imperfect happiness, such as can be had here, consists first and principally in contemplation, but secondarily in an operation of the practical intellect directing human actions and passions.
Common market health measures like GDP and GNP have been used as a measure of successful policy. On average, richer nations tend to be happier than poorer nations, but this effect seems to diminish with wealth. This has been explained by the fact that the dependency is not linear, but it's logarithmic. In other words, the same potential increase in the GNP produces the same increase in happiness for wealthy countries as for poor countries. The libertarian think tank, the Cato Institute, claims that economic freedom correlates strongly with happiness, preferably within the context of a Western mixed economy with free press and a democracy. According to certain standards, the Eastern European countries ruled by communist parties and were, were less happy than Western ones, even less happy than other equally poor countries, but there's really no proof of that. However, much of empirical research in the fields of so-called happiness economics supports the contention that, at least in democratic countries, life satisfaction is strongly and positively related to the social democratic model of a generous social safety net, pro-worker labor market regulations, and strong labor unions. Similarly, there is evidence that public policies that reduce poverty and support a strong middle class, uh, such as higher minimum wage, strongly affects average levels of well-being. It's been argued that happiness measures could be used not as a replacement for more traditional measures, but as a supplement. According to Professor Edward Glaser, people constantly make choices that decrease their happiness because they also have more important aims. Therefore, the government should not decrease the alternatives available for citizens by patronizing them, but let the citizen keep a maximal freedom of choice. So here are some quotes to make you think a little bit more about happiness. Dr. Seuss reminds us, don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. From Ralph Waldo Emerson, for every minute you are angry, you lose 60 seconds of happiness. Love is that condition in which the happiness of another person is essential to your own. That's from Robert A. Hen Henline, who wrote Stranger in a Strange Land. Abraham Lincoln once said, Folks are usually about as happy as they make their minds up to be. Now here's a very succinct idea from Mahatma Gandhi. Happiness is when what you think, what you say, and what you do are in harmony. And from the Dalai Lama, happiness is not something ready-made, it comes from your own actions. And J.R.R. Tolkien has said, if more of us valued food and cheer and song above hoarded gold, it would be a merrier world. Audrey Hepburn said, The most important thing is to enjoy your life, to be happy. It's all that matters. And then finally from Marcel Proust, Let us be grateful to the people who make us happy. They are the charming gardeners who make our souls blossom.
Okay, Joan Jett right there with Shout. And we also heard from Farrell Williams with Happy. The Beatles were in there with Dig a Pony. Hobby Horse with Good Morning Moon. We heard a spoken word piece from Jim Carrey, his speech that so-called nobody wants to hear. I think everybody wants to hear that, to tell you the truth. We also heard from George Harrison with Blow Away. The Turtles started this week's set off with Happy Together. Now it's time for this week's Spiral Dance Spell of the Week. And this week's Spiral Dance Spell of the Week is for Saturday, the 21st of January. And this is called The Magical Cooking Spell. Well, hey, now that the flurry of the holidays is over, indulge your natural desire to hibernate during cold winter months. To support this process, make your home a comfortable and creative place filled with light and warmth. Decorate it with items of your own creation. Set aside time to enjoy cooking, cross-stitch, knitting, sewing, quilting, drawing, or other arts and crafts, remembering that everything that you create contains a bit of your own energy. Whenever you begin a new project, ask yourself, what kind of energy do you wish to put into the finished item? Before you begin, then visualize or speak aloud the energy that you want to create. Pause periodically as you work and re-visualize the energy while thinking of things that you want to remove, like hunger and anger and poverty and miscommunication and sadness and loneliness and sickness. <laughs> as well as the things that you want to grow, like love and friendship and prosperity and happiness and community and health. Okay, that was offered by Lady Moondance. It appeared in the 2006 Witches Spell Day Almanac, an oldie but a goodie. Give that spell a try. Send me an email, RadioHawthorne at Yahoo.com. Spiral Days with Hawthorne here is Bobby McFerrin with Don't Worry, Be Happy. Mm-hmm. 
song I wrote You might want to sing it note for note Don't worry Be happy In every life we have some trouble But when you worry you make it double Don't worry Be happy Don't worry, be happy now Certainly we've heard from uh, Aristotle, we've heard from Confucius, and a whole bunch of really great thinkers, including Bobby McFerrin with Don't Worry, Be Happy. That's going to do it for me for this week. I want to thank you for joining me. I had a great time talking about happiness. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'll be back again next week with a brand new show. Until then, merry part, till a merry meet again. Blessed be.